Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Philemon. And we would like to read this, uh, this letter to Philemon from Paul. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Atphia, our our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become affected by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brothers. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deeds might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owed you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay not to mention to you that you owe me, even your own self, besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. first my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus greets you as you mark Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborer. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So I want us to think about uh, several things here this morning, and uh, one is Onesimus, the slave of Philemon. One day, he was suddenly gone. He disappeared. He didn't show up. He had run away. And that was disappointing. Uh, slaves were expensive 
So this was a financial loss. I don't know how bothered uh, Philemon was about the financial part of it. But Onesimus was already a disappointment. He wasn't a very good servant. The name Onesimus, Onesimus means useful, profitable, and he wasn't. Verse 11 says he was unprofitable. He was worthless, useless. So he must not have worked very well. Maybe he didn't get his work done right. Maybe he didn't follow instructions. Maybe he cut corners. Maybe he just didn't get things finished. Or didn't get them finished on time. Maybe he had a, an attitude problem. Maybe he argued. Maybe he was stubborn about certain things he was asked to do. Maybe he grumbled. We don't know what all the problems were. Maybe he even took things. In, uh, in verse 18 it says, uh, if he has wronged you, uh, one translation says defrauded you. It's a little weaker than a robbery, but there's a little hint there that maybe he had sticky fingers when he left to carry some things along. Well, when he did run away, uh, he took some property himself. He was valuable. He was owned by Philemon. We'll not go into the slave, slavery issue there, except that Christianity was an advocate for it. And, um, we don't know how long uh, or not some of the slaves after this. But I believe that Philemon, being a godly man, was sad for other reasons about Onesimus. He loved Onesimus. He cared about him, and he wished he could help this poor boy. He longed for him to become a Christian. Philemon was a good man. But Onesimus was gone. He had run off to Rome, and no doubt uh, he figured that he could hide in the masses of people there in Rome and never be found. But one day, maybe some months, we don't know how long, somebody showed up at Philemon's door. We don't know if he knocked or how he gained attention, but maybe Philemon himself answered the door. And who should be standing there but Onesimus? And uh, Onesimus' countenance was different, I think, than the last time that Philemon had seen him. Maybe he looked a little nervous. Uh, certainly, I believe he was respectful. And in his hand, he had a parchment, a letter for Philemon from Paul. So, Paul had something to do with this development. How much Onesimus and Paul had connected in Rome, we don't really know. Did some friends of Paul's meet Onesimus on the street and bring him to Paul, who never met someone who wasn't either a brother or a mission field? Or did things get bad for Onesimus 
happens to prodigals, and he hits bottom, and he thought about Saul, and found his way to him somehow. There's a good chance that Onesimus remembered Paul from Paul's visit to Philemon and Colossae. Maybe not. But anyway, it's remarkable that this runaway met Paul. And more remarkable, uh, Onesimus became a Christian. And he was now, he was standing in uh, Philemon's doorway and a spiritual son of Paul. He was a Christian. And if Paul uh, hadn't known Onesimus for his Colossae connection, they soon discovered they had common acquaintances back there in that town, the chief being uh, Philemon, the master of Onesimus. So whatever happened there in Rome at that time and how they got together, the useless, unprofitable servant Onesimus had met a true servant of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, who Paul had one time met on a road to Damascus, the servant of servants, the Lord Jesus himself. He didn't know Jesus always either. And Paul, it was Paul's privilege to introduce Onesimus to Jesus, and it changed his life. Not only was he redeemed now, but Onesimus became a useful servant. What I want us to think about uh, is three characteristics of profitable, useful servants of Jesus. And we have three in this story. Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. Maybe four if you talk about runaway Onesimus and converted Onesimus. The the characteristics that I want to touch on are dedicated, uh, perceptive, and faithful. So, runaway Onesimus was not dedicated. Um, he was a servant, but he wasn't a servant of Christ or of Philemon. He was a servant of self. He served himself. But he met Paul, who uh, at the beginning of Romans called himself a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And he refers to himself as a servant in other places, too. And as we mentioned, it was Paul who had met the chief of servants, the servant of servants, Jesus Christ. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And Hebrews, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God, the servant of his Father. And in Philippians uh, 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself 
of no reputation taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also had highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, the exalted one on the earth, a servant, came to serve, not to be served. When Paul writes to us in Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, we know that verse, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He calls the readers of that letter, he calls us to offer ourselves for service. And that involves um, uh, being available. Uh, he implored them to voluntarily present themselves, for us to present ourselves a, a decisive surrender, not slaves like so uh, country, one country conquers another, and then they, like Babylon did, of Israel, and then take away captives, and often they make them slaves. Israel did that as well. But rather a surrender, a decision on the part of the servant to become a bond servant, like we we know how they did in the Old Testament. There was that option for someone to give himself to his master that he had been working for for a number of years and say, I just want to stay your slave and uh, you provide for me and I'll work for you. And they had a little procedure where they back up to a door and do a little maneuvering, get his ear against the door jam and pierce it. And that was a sign that he was a bond servant. A decision, a, uh, a surrender forever, once and for all. That's what we're called to, uh, how we're called to offer ourselves as dedicated to service. Holy, as in set apart, like uh, as in service in the temple. And holy also as in W-H-O-L-L-Y, not half-hearted. So the service is to be devotional, which is your reasonable service or worship, a worshipful service. So as God's people, as God's servants, we do more than just offer the periodic incense of prayers. We've offered our lives, our living, our actions and deeds are for Him. We are no longer our own. 
and this kind of servant worships with his word, as we are doing mostly in word here this morning, but also his life on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's a life of worship in action. It's action worship, not just words, but a heart and action. Devoted first to God, serving for the love of Jesus, our Master. And Jesus answered the lawyer in Mark 12, verse 29, and the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And that first commandment can only be kept as one has presented himself a living sacrifice. So we're devoted first to serving God, and we're devoted to serving others in Christ's name. In verse 31 of Mark 12. And the second commandment is like, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than Jesus. In James 1, verse 27, it says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Pure religion and undefiled before God the Father, whom we love most of all, more than anything else, is to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And these things fit together, hand in glove, so to speak, to love God and neighbor. It's a holy service, and James is just stating here the practical result the everyday expression of loving, devotional living. Meet the needs around us. Action. Worship. In action. So, true devotion and worship to God translates into serving others. It's not striving for position, but serving in humility not serving for attention and honor, but for the benefit of others. The uh, disciples struggled with some of that, and Jesus several times had to gather them together and review for them what true servanthood is and true greatness is in God's eyes. And Jesus called to them once in Matthew 20, verse 25, and said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister, servant. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. A little check here. 
of all thinking about who might be irritated at our children, our spouse, our students, our fellow employees, just so many opportunities to be patient right here with us again this morning. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, it could be the reckless driver coming down and taking up too much of a road. But these irritations may be indications of uh, lack of servanthood on our part. So when we're irate at someone, we're behaving as masters, like they're the servants and we're the masters. And they're not serving our pleasure. They're not pleasing us. And we're seeing them as folks that should be cooperating with our plans and our expectations and to make our lives more pleasant and comfortable. And they kind of owe us. And because they're not meeting our expectations, we're irritated. So what does that say about us? Something to think about. Should we rather be showing more concern about how well we're serving them? Serving them by being patient for one, even a willingness to suffer loss. Well, the point is that uh, servants kneel to kings, slaves to masters, and they serve them. So, um, when we are dedicated to God and have presented ourselves to God for service, then we are desiring to please Him and not so concerned about others pleasing us. There's a lesson that the disciples struggled with and Jesus tried to help them understand. The second characteristic is perception. Do we see? Do we see uh, a field of service? When Paul was in when Paul uh, wrote to First Corinthians, he was in Ephesus, and he uh, wanted to visit Corinth in his travels and church there. But he said he was going to stay at Ephesus for a little while. First uh, Corinthians 16 and verse 8. But I will carry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, servants vary in how easily, how quickly they recognize the work. I think it was Brother Amos that told me about a hired man that he had once. That uh, I should check with Barbara or some of the family in which he did that. But uh, as I recall, when he was, when this hired man was finished with a job, he would stand someplace uh, where he wasn't very noticeable, but not completely out of sight, and he would just stand there until Amos noticed him and gave him another job. It was like he wasn't one to see the work, or he didn't understand what all could be done, and and get to it. So there are servants like that. But Paul wasn't uh, that kind of servant. 
we saw at Ephesus a wide open door of opportunity for effective service. And there's a door of service for every Christian. And there are two parts to this door, this open door. One is just the circumstances, the opportunities that are there. And the second part is recognizing it, seeing it. Runaway Onesimus didn't see the opportunities, or if he did, he wasn't interested. He searched them, fled from them. So maybe we haven't uh, seen all of our doors of service. You know, really, uh, when I see look around this congregation, I see many servants. So I, I was going to say this at the beginning. I really do uh, see a group of wonderful servants. And so this is a reminder for us all, not me going but, um, so, one perception is this, one way of looking at service opportunities. First Corinthians 10, verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that's a general call to service that everything we do should be in service to Him, our reasonable service. So when we get up in the morning, we should recognize several things. One, I need God. Number two, this day is your day. Number three, I'm your service, and I want to serve you today. I'm your son. This day is yours. And I am your servant. I want to serve you today. I'll try to do that. Um, I don't do it every day. But uh, it, it kind of helps your focus. Try that. Probably you do already in some form or other. So Paul was in prison in Rome. What kind of service opportunity might he have there? Well, this was the kind of attitude I believe he had. Philemon was in Colossae. I believe that's the kind of attitude that he had. And Onesimus, the returned, converted Onesimus, standing now in Philemon's house, watching Philemon finish Paul's letter. I believe that was his attitude, too. He had been serving Paul back there in Rome in the prison, ministered to Paul in his chains, and uh, doing good things. I don't know what all he did, but he was profitable to Paul. And Paul kind of hated to see him go and hoped that Philemon would get the hint that they were pretty, pretty uh, broad hints, weren't they? That I'd like to have him back because he was useful to me. Then, you know, with that mindset, I'm your God, 
this day is yours, and I'm your servant. I want to serve you today. Then, as we go to work, it's not just a job, but it's a service for God. Neither is what I make to do with what I wish that God thinks part of being a steward. And mothers, homemakers, what a field of service that is. They accept that. Reading to children, feeding and clothing youngsters, packing school lunches, menus, laundry, house cleaning, all those sorts of things. Service for God. Teachers, service for God. Whatever we do. So, students, servants for God. And after work, after school, end of day activities, whatever weekend, service for God. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that's a general call. A general call to be a servant in the work where we find ourselves. And what's before us to do is act in worship, serving Him. There are also specific calls that come to individuals and probably to all of us at uh, some time or another. Uh, specific opportunities and callings, and we want to be sensitive to God's direction. We need to be open. We need to be listening for them. Uh, sometimes opportunities come unexpectedly. So Philip was in Samaria. The church was growing there, and he was part of that work. And there was a lot of Christian service opportunities in Samaria. And he was very busy. And then the Spirit said to him, Go south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And Philip could have said, Look, Lord, see how busy I am here. There's a great door of opportunity right here where I am in Samaria. What's in the desert? But he went. And God brought him in contact with a true speaker who was led to Christ. Not a coincidence. So I was reading about a David somebody and his wife who were um, young, um, married. They had a couple of uh, young children. And active in the church, I think it was in Ohio some years ago. And um, they were just about to buy a farm. They were going to sign the papers the next week. And one evening at church, one of the ministers said, they'd like to talk with them a little bit if they could after the service. So they did, and the minister said, you know, our mission in Honduras really needs a couple there. Uh, I think they wanted him to uh, consider serving as a mission administrator. 
And would they consider that? Well, just out of the blue, and about to buy the farm, little children going to Honduras, and back in the thick, rugged, rugged roads, muddy, muddy roads during the rain season, bandits and robbers and sickness, and what? And we're about to buy the farm, and I enjoy farming, and just having a normal life. We'll think about it. They thought about it. They prayed about it. They had actually thought sometime, maybe God would have some service for them. They said yes. They went to Honduras. I don't know how many years they stayed there. God doesn't ask many of us to go to foreign countries, but we're all to be servants. And whether, whatever the activity is for a Christian servant, it involves kingdom building some way, whether just a general calling, being faithful in God, or specific calls, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. A mission statement for Christ's servants. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So in our service to God, in our service to others, it's more than meeting a need or supplying a service of some kind, when we come in contact with people, they should be coming in contact with God. They should sense the love of God. Maybe they won't recognize it right off. Maybe they won't appreciate it even or respond to it, but love should be there. Because uh, we have the Spirit of God, and the love of God should be shed abroad in our hearts. So that was true for Paul. It's true for Philemon, I believe. Uh, Paul wrote about um, Philemon. He said, "I thank my God." making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, God first and then others. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you forever. So that was the kind of person Paul was. That was the kind of person Philemon was. And, you know, besides our everyday work 
the act and the work that we're doing. Uh, we serve in the way we relate to people also. We serve as we uh, give to their needs for the love of Christ. We serve as we give up our rights, absorbing injury and loss, even knowing that all things are as lost to knowing them for the love of Christ. And we serve as we kneel in our closets of prayer and lift the needs of our families and our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors to the God of heaven for the love of Christ. And we serve as we support and help others to achieve and rejoice with them when they succeed for the love of Christ. And we serve as we comfort others who mourn and we weep with them and make their burdens ours and their sorrow our sorrow and their loneliness our loneliness for the love of Christ. And we serve as we offer the gospel a testimony, an invitation, a godly example, or our friendship for the love of Christ. And then the, um, the last characteristic, just to touch on briefly, is faithful, being faithful. Jesus was a faithful servant. Hebrews 3, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Jesus was a faithful servant to his heavenly father. Paul was a faithful servant. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved this appearing. And we want to be faithful as well. First uh, Corinthians 4, verse 1 and 2. Let a man so consider us, Paul wrote, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in servants that one be found faithful. And Ephesians 5, verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Don't waste your time. There's work to be done. Faithful, a faithful walk with the Lord, faithful service for the Lord, Dedicated to the service where we are, alert for unexpected opportunities, making the most of them. We can't do them all. We need to say that. We can't do everything. 
certainly the limitations as humans for time and other obligations for us. Jesus finished his work. I have glorified you on the earth, he said to the Father. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. So, in three years of ministry, three years of service, he did that by doing the will of God, the will of the Father, faithfully, day by day. He presented himself each day. Here I am, Lord, below to do thy work, to do your service. I'm your God. This day is yours. I am your servant. And when we're finished, even after a life of faithful service, we're not proud. In Luke 17, verse 10, Jesus said, So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we're unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. So we're unprofitable in the sense that our service isn't perfect, hasn't been perfect. We've added nothing to who Jesus is, We've not added any value to him. His investment in us far outweighs the feeble service that we have offered to him. And we haven't earned his favor by our service. So in those ways, we are unprofitable. But we are profitable if we please him. And we hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. The little things, the chores, the opportunities, the callings that we try to serve God in. And while they're imperfect, we can be profitable and pleasing to Jesus, our Master, dedicated to His service, watching for opportunities, and faithful in them. Paul said this in Philippians 2, I read it earlier, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And as faithful servants, we want to grow in the likeness of Jesus, like Paul did, like Philemon did, and like the return converted from Methodist did. And we can, by God's grace. Shall we have a closing song?